0: This is where they make their mark.
1: This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. A goal from your man. Catch that if you can!
0: Hello and welcome back to our MLS Minnesota United Match Day Preview podcast. My word, it sounds so good to say that. We have competitive, actual live soccer around the corner with the MLS's back tournament starting today on Wednesday. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Orban. We've got a packed show ahead for you. We'll speak to the broadcasting legend, JP Della Camera shortly, as well as preview Minnesota United and Sporting Kansas City. First though, Kindred East St. Alban, from a social distance, you're looking well. It's been a long time. How are you?
1: You know, everybody looks good in these masks. You know, I think that's what I've decided, but um, you know, doing good, just ready to get back and get this thing started. It feels like talking, 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 and there's finally some doing, which uh, it feels good. Game's getting rocking on, on Wednesday, tonight, the day we're recording this, and Minnesota United back in action on Sunday against Sporting Kansas City. Wouldn't have it any other way.
0: It's been an incomparable last four months or so, not only for professional sports, but the world as well. Um, How excited are you to just simply have Major League Soccer back? We've been fortunate to have a lot of European leagues return, but it's not quite the same meaning for us, is it, given that we work in Major League Soccer?
1: It is not the same meeting, and we're sitting here in the stadium club in Allianz Field recording this, and it does just feel odd to sit and look at the field, which, by the way, looks immaculate. Um, it would be nice if the team could play on it. Um, and to not see the stadium club filled with people and fans and the fan base here in, in Minnesota is just so phenomenal. So it's just it's been a weird summer, a weird 2020, and I think the craziest part about it is you just don't know what's going to happen next. It's like every day brings something new and crazy. But the league starting up again, the team starting up again, and the game starting up again, doing our boards, getting our prep, getting all that going, is, it's been a nice breath of, of fresh air and a good mental refresh.
0: With that unknown and that uncertainty about what the next few weeks are really going to look like and what the next few months will look like. Is there from a, a broadcasting standpoint, from your perspective, is there an element of excitement about it?
1: Well, I think that the tournament, the way it's set up is really what excites me about it because every game has meaning this group stage, this world cup style. And I know there's still some unknowns and some TBDs with the way the the testing and the coronavirus is going on in, in the bubble in Orlando, but just focusing on the games and the tournament and the way that MLS has set this up, I just think that there is an excitement level and the energy level is going to be crazy because these guys are just itching to get back into the swing of things. After four months off, two games played and competitive soccer against someone else and the games mean something. I think the group stage is going to be really exciting.
0: Well, you've got two World Cups on your resume. A man joining us now has about a thousand on his resume, I believe. Welcome to the podcast, JP Della Camera. JP, how are you?
2: Doing great, Cal. And Kendra, how are you guys?
0: Very well, indeed. We really appreciate the time. I know you're very busy prepping because, to my knowledge, you'll be calling the games on the radio for Philadelphia Union ahead of this tournament, JP. I I can't imagine even somebody with your vast knowledge and experience has ever seen anything like this before.
2: No, no one one could have predicted something like this could happen, guys. And uh, as tough as it was to make predictions before on MLS, you know, at the start of the year, How how do you make it now with all of these variables, right? Because uh, as great as Minnesota United was, for example, at the start of the year and some other teams as well, no one has momentum. No one has played since March, right? So who really has an advantage? The team with the best overall roster, the best coach, most depth, uh, the team with the youngest legs, the most experienced team, uh, the team who made the fewest off-season changes and therefore maybe have a better chemistry, or the team with the best attitude and mentality because look at what they're dealing with. Just being in a bubble, you're away from your family and your friends, heat and humidity of Orlando, the possible 9 a.m. games or late games like 10.30. So uh, how do you prep for them? Whoever preps the best might be the one that lifts the trophy
0: when this is all set and up. From a footballing perspective, JP, psychologically and physically, how difficult is this going to be on the players?
2: Well, I think the one good thing about it, guys, is the fact that you can use five subs. I think that's that's a benefit, especially to teams that have some depth, because you know, you're going to see games just days apart, you know, like it is in a World Cup format. So, uh, and I think coaches have to be careful, uh, risk reward, right? Um, how much you're going to play your stars? I guess it depends on on what your aspirations are for this tournament. If it's three and done. Uh, that's one way to approach it. But if you're going to go deep and maybe play seven games, uh, you certainly don't want to lose players for when regular season play of MLS starts up again. Uh, if there's a guy that's questionable, you really can't afford to play him in that last game uh, without risking maybe him for a longer season. JP,
1: just being a a fly on the wall and, you know, some of your resources, speaking of that format and knowing that the group stage games mean something towards the regular season, what then, how how are coaches and players viewing getting past the group stage? I, I completely understand there's a cash prize and that there's a birth, you know, a CCL birth at stake, but going again back to regular season and Caleb Porter took a lot of heat for saying You know, they basically want to get group stage and maybe out because they're focused on winning the trophy at the end of the regular season. So what are you hearing as kind of a fly on the wall of how people are viewing it past the group stage?
2: Well, I can only really speak about Philadelphia, and I think they're going for it. I think they're one of the teams that is built to go deeper into this tournament. I think that the group that they're in, and we'll find out, But depending on what happens with Nashville, we'll find out uh, exactly what's going to happen with these groups. But I think the group that they're in, uh, at least on paper, they're either the best team in that group or second best to NYCFC. And I I think Philadelphia is all about winning trophies. They've not won one, but uh, they've competed hard in MLS coming off their best ever season last year. And in Open Cups, they've gotten the three finals. So they do go for it. I, I think what you'll see from these teams, though, is that. You know, if you lose your first you lose your first two games or, or maybe come away with one play in the first two, uh, you might be thinking three and done. Let's get back home. Let's train on our own. Let's get back to our families and be ready for the restarting of Major League Soccer. If you're a, a team that's built to win, a team that always plays for trophies, LAFC, Seattle, Atlanta, maybe Toronto, in, in a top four like that, they're going to try to win this trophy uh, as best that they can. So I think if they don't get to a deep position, I think they consider that as failure. Other teams with new coaches, hey, I'm not going to predict what Cincinnati's going to do or what Chicago is going to do, but it's not a disaster for them if it's three games and out because Yopstam or Raphael Wicke have more time to talk to their team about set pieces and get them settled in their communities I mean, Yapstown basically just came over here. At least I think wiki has been here for a little bit. But Yapstown probably has only been in this country for just a couple of weeks. So um, while while FC Cincinnati would gladly take a deep run and get some momentum going, uh, it's not a disaster again if they're three and out.
1: Yeah, I think it's weighing the the double-edged sword there with a lot of those teams with new coaching you know, staffs and, and as you said, maybe the players with less changeover in their roster might find some more success. But I just wanted to take one step back real quick and talk about, uh, about you. Cause you and I chatted early on in March about the situation and you were saying these games are going to come fast and fierce. Once they start doing your boards, trying to get ahead of it. And that's when we thought we were returning in may. How have you been biding your time with this has to be the longest stretch ever in your life without without calling yeah. a game. What, what, are, what have you been up to yeah. and how have you been able to make your way through this time?
2: That's kind of funny, Kendra. It's the longest I've gone without calling a game. It's the longest I've been um, away from an airplane or an airport. <laughs> um, the longest I've been without taking a train to Philadelphia. So um, I've been basically working out. Not that I could ever play, but I'm down about like 15 pounds from all of this stuff. Wow! And it's like the COVID. It's not the COVID diet. I just had nothing to do, so um, it's basically exercise and watching what you eat. I was hoping to to lose 10, and now it's 15. But now I got to stop. Now I'm trying not to <laughs> not to lose anymore. So between that and Netflix, I would say that's taken up most of my time. I think I told you this, Kendra, earlier. I figured that if the season was going to be shorter, that maybe we would just play within the conference. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure I just got the Eastern Conference teams finished, which I did. And then they announced that Nashville was going to go to the Eastern Conference. So Mm -hmm. I thought, well, i better get that chart done. Uh, And I did. So assuming they come back in August, and assuming you just play in the Eastern Conference, I'll have some updates to do on my charts. But as you guys know, you know, that initial chart takes the most work and then uh, you make your updates on your own. Um, that stuff is all going to be done if, if we are going to just play within our own conference.
0: JP, very well done on losing weight during this whole <laughs> pandemic. I think I'm the polar opposite <laughs> and have put on 15 pounds. So um, very well done to you, sir. Um, let me yeah, ask no, you. I've
2: heard a lot of people have said that. They have said that, that they've gained weight during this pandemic. That's one thing I didn't want to do
0: for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I commend you. They're very well done indeed. Um, let me ask you um, what do we think would be a realistic and a possible outcome once we are done with the Orlando and, and the MLS is back tournament? What would you like to see MLS do? Uh,
2: I would love to see them go back and play in the stadiums. Uh, I love the fact that we have fans at the games, but I recognize that that might not be a possibility. Maybe we can have reduced capacity, but I'd even take the games in the empty stadiums. So, I mean, I'm like you guys. I've been starving for the game. I mean, I've watched the Bundesliga. I've watched England. I'm I'm watching Syria A as we speak right now. I've got the sound off, but I'm watching it. Uh, so I'm getting used to, sadly, watching games where there is no crowd, and in some cases, no crowd noise. You're hearing stuff on the field, but um, I think it's important, for, for MLS to be able to get back on the field, back in their own stadiums. Uh, I'll be curious to see, guys, how the USL does with this. They are starting this weekend in stadiums. Uh, they had announced in some cases that they were going to have limited fans there. Uh, I'm not sure what, uh, what that means or if that will remain in place because one of the teams that said they wanted to have fans there has now changed their mind on that. So, but just to be able to play in the stadiums would be a step forward, and if USL can do that with success, obviously MLS can do that.
0: So, before we get to that, we've said several times now we have this tournament to play. MLS is back. Um, Who do you expect to be a front runner to win the whole thing? Is there anybody you expect to be a dark horse at all, any individual or any team?
2: Yeah, I would say this. Uh, Like I said at the top, tough to make predictions, uh, especially since no one has played since March. And and I gave you the list of things to think about. You know, is it the younger legs, the most spirit, all that. So, you know, with all of that up in the air and not really knowing what to do, I tend to go with who I think are the best teams, right? Who would I have picked before the season started? And those are the ones that I would be picking now, right? So I, I go with what I said before. Uh, LAFC, even without Carlos Vela, to me, is the best team. Uh, I think Atlanta is still very strong, even without Joseph Martinez. I think Seattle is another one. And then if I deepen that pool of three, I'd probably put in Toronto, uh, NYCFC, Philadelphia, Sporting Kansas City, and Minnesota. Uh, It's hard to call some of these a dark horse, you know, if, if you want to say dark horse, maybe Philly and Minnesota are two of those teams. Uh, but but I think that a lot of people are still giving both of those teams a lot of props now. So I'm not sure how underrated these teams are these days because of success and progress that they made a year ago. And I like your team with uh, uh, Amaria there. Mm. And hearing you might sign other players as well. Um, that's a good team. You know, with Alonzo and and uh, if you have a healthy Molino and a healthy Finley and Ike O'Para, I know, is going to miss the start of the tournament at least. Uh, and Ike has been the best best defender, best center back in this league. So Minnesota has a quality team that I think they'll have to go deep as well.
1: You know, speaking of, um, you know, dark horses, not just team-wise, but do you think there might be a player that would thrive in this, this tournament, in this format, specifically maybe – even one of those teams that might be missing a star and they might excel in, in the environment with someone else out of their way? Or, um,
2: Well, I think assuming that everybody is healthy, right? Like a, a Diego Rossi mm-hmm. has more on his shoulders. I mean, he's a proven player, right? But now he has to step up maybe even more with Carlos Vela not there. I think it's an important tournament for Chicharito, who's gotten mm-hmm. off to a slow start. For the Galaxy, I mean, this could be big for him if he can score some goals here. Um, uh, I think of uh, PT Martinez with Joseph Martinez not being able to play. Uh, I want to see how Julian Russell fits in with DC. I think he's going to be a fantastic addition there. Um, And then let's see some of these other young players that were signed uh, into Miami. have a few good-looking young players, and, and one of their players was hurt, remember, at the start of the year? The guys that were hurt at the start of the year, uh, a lot of them are now back and they're healthy. And and some of them might be able to come back later in the tournament or, or later in the year. I'm thinking about guys like Joseph Martinez. If, if MLS plays in the December or uh, Paul Ariola, you know, guys that had long-term injuries, but um, we've already gone past like four or five months now for these guys to be injured. So, Um, Who knows if we see them later? But I think there's always going to be somebody, too, that maybe we're not even talking about uh, that has a chance to shine here because somebody else is hurt, and now you're going to get a chance to play.
0: JP, always wonderful to hear your salubrious sound, your dulcet tones, your wonderful knowledge. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much, and enjoy the tournament. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to watching game one tonight. Thanks, JP. That is J.P. Della Camera of Philadelphia Union and Fox Sports. Uh, Fabulous to hear from the living legend that is, no doubt about it. But now I want to get your thoughts on this, Kindra, before we dive into Minnesota United and Sporting Kansas City a little later on. There's a lot of predicaments, a lot of predictions that undoubtedly will have changed, as J.P. mentioned, um, before the tournament starts. I had said previously on on a a separate podcast, I actually think a dark horse from this tournament will more than likely be into Miami. Mm. And the the reason for me why I say this is because you have to think of what the end goal is at this tournament. We know there is a certain amount of prize money. We know there is uh, a fairly um, significant uh, berth into the CONCACAF Champions League. And I say significant because... Usually qualifying for the, the CCL is is over the course of the season or it's winning the Open Cup or what have you. This seems to be um, a decent route to get to the Champions League. I think into miami if you think of the, the fans they're trying to attract, the image they're trying to attract, what they're trying to become, and the players that they're trying to attract, there doesn't really seem to be a better way to get to the Champions League than what's ahead of them.
1: I I would agree with you from that perspective if the CCL is a major thing that um, that they're really focused on for all those reasons that you just the boxes you just ticked. I think the bigger thing for me is what is the end goal? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, is it the is it the trophy at the end of the regular season? Is it the MLS Cup? What are you trying to lift at the end of the season? Is any silverware, any hardware is always a bonus? And as we just heard JP Della Camera just say, you want to win a trophy. You want to get some sort of something, whether it's U.S. Open Cup, CCL, MLS Cup. But I do think that there is going to be an element of maybe in the back of your mind, depending on how those first two games go for any team of do we just get out of the group stage and get the the points or not get out of it, but get through it yeah, and do what you can for the MLS regular season. And then move on, get home, get back to your home base, train as a team, focus on whatever the regular season is going to be in August, or do you stay in Orlando in Florida for, you know, another week, 10 days, two weeks, whatever it might be, as you continue to advance for the possibility of $1.1 million and the bigger prize, in my opinion, a CCL birth. So I think it's going to be about the club's priorities. And I mentioned it too. I mean, Caleb Porter took a lot of heat because he was kind of like, well, let's it's group stage basically for us, and then we want to focus on MLS Cup. I think it's just going to be hard to say because I personally think it's going to be all out for those three games. Everybody wants those nine points, and obviously if you get the nine points, you're going to be through anyways, and you're going to be off on your way. But it's, it's more to me about the MLS regular season. It's about the end goal in December, or whenever this thing wraps up of lifting that trophy and it's going to, it's just, there's so many unknowns with the virus and the travel and the lack of fans. And then I saw a report in Chicago saying anybody that comes in from another city, when they arrive, they have to quarantine for 14 days, possibly. Well, how are you going to, how's the team going to travel to, you know what I mean? Mm. There's just all these crazy things that are going to contribute. So with this tournament, I think it's going to be about priorities. I would not have picked inner Miami as a dark horse, but I absolutely can see why that would make sense. I still think LAFC if they go all out, that they, this is a goal of theirs, and Bob Bradley doesn't, last I've checked, doesn't like to lose much. Mm-hmm. Um, I would still put LAFC, and I know that's not like a shocker of a pick, but with Carl, without Carlos Vela, even I, I still think that they would be one of the the top ones to win. I wouldn't put it past Atlanta either, honestly, without Joseph Martinez. He isn't even I think they have a lot of talent. So, do
0: you think as well from an LAFC point of view, as you mentioned, no Carlos Vela, but uh, that perhaps would provide room for the likes of Rodriguez and Rossi, either side of, of Diamande. It's still not a bad front line, is it?
1: We've seen it with several teams before. You lose your star and sometimes it opens up for other players. All of a sudden you're not worried about getting Carlos Vela the ball. You're not worried about him being mad. You're not and I don't even know Carlos I don't know if he's that type of player, but he's a superstar, right? Mm. So all of a sudden maybe Rodriguez is more comfortable. Maybe he picks, you know, picks and chooses his moments. He finishes his chances. Rossi is you know, fantastic, and you've got, you know, Mark Anthony Kay, and I I still think their back line has a little bit to be desired and sorted out, as we saw in the first two games, and they made some changes there, But um, and their goalkeeping for that matter. But I think that with a Rossi and and a Rodriguez, I actually think that they might really thrive in this environment without without Carlos Vela, just a little bit more freedom to do what they need to do and do what they want to do and take hold of it.
0: Here's an interesting thought as well. I, I remember I mentioned this on a previous podcast that, if memory serves me correct, if, if the teams are playing on the main field at the sports complex in Kissimmee, um, if memory serves me correct, I remember the field being quite tight. If that's the case, I wonder if if the majority of the inverted wingers would have mm. the ball a lot more. So I'd said in the past, I wonder if, uh, as, as you and JP mentioned, Pity Martinez would mm. be able to perhaps take centre stage, uh, maybe even somebody like a Johnny Russell. Um And I wonder if the inverted wingers going up against the fullback would be able to pull out the fullback from the position that they're supposed to be in. The right back or or left back would would be able to overlap and and find some sort of service from the wing. Uh, But also the inverted forward then would perhaps offer another option in the centre as well. I I just feel as though, and this is, of course, if the field is the same dimension that I can remember. that, That may very well have changed. But do you think the attacking midfielders... Uh, especially those of, of the inverted winger nature will will have a, a part to say in this tournament?
1: Well, I think that it's going to, well, first of all, depend on, yes, the width of the field. But I think the wingers and the inverted wingers and the fullbacks and the whole dimension of the game has changed so much. And I think that and in, in the first two games specifically, let's talk Johnny Russell, going back and watching the first two games of this, this season and knowing that we're going to play Sporting Kansas City on Sunday. Mm. I think he's a perfect example of, Taking advantage of whatever is given him, the opportunity that's given him, and he doesn't care how big or small the field is, he's going to take his space and he's going to take a shot if he needs it. He's going to cut inside if he sees the opportunity. He's going to switch to the right and cut in on his left if he needs to, or he can play on the left and, you know, clearly cut in or um, stay on the left hand side and serve the ball in and do whatnot. But I just think that the the ability to get forward and the outside backs to overlap, I actually think the bigger the bigger piece to me is going to be the fitness and the heat. Sure. Even more so than the tight field and the the, the fact that the attacking midfielder, whoever, or a, a, a nine that's dropping in or, a, you know, I, I think that it's going to be about the fitness of the players. How much are they going to be able to get forward? How much are they going to be willing to make those overlapping runs? Graham Zusi is another perfect example for sporting Kansas City. We've got Roma Methener and Chase Gasper who love to get in on the attack. How much are they going to be able to affect the game? by their overlapping runs and then force the wingers to get inside and then maybe crowd or open up the space, depending on the situation for the attacking midfielder and the nine that likes to drop in. Um, I think that how teams are going to have to change the way they play. Are they going to sit back? Are they going to counter? Are they going to be tired? There are so many things that you just don't know. And tactically every team I think is going to tell you, we're not going to change the way we play because they have a system, a four, two, three, one, a four, three, three, whatever it might be. Same with Peter Vermees. But I think we get on the field and a lot of that might just go right out the window depending on the, the situation of the health and the, the, the players and the tactical nature and who's going to be fit and who's going to be willing to make that run forward and the dying embers of the game, the dying gasps of the game. So totally a possibility, but I think the team with the most flexibility, the players to be able to do that, go inside or outside, open it up, stay back, overlap, stay home a forward that can drop in, an attacking midfielder that can go forward and interchange and combine with the nine. Those are all things I think the team with the most versatility and the adaptability will be able to succeed and get farther in this tournament.
0: Mm, intriguing stuff. We'll hear more from D e. St. Auburn as we continue our MLS Match day Preview podcast here. Uh, lots more coming your way. Next up, though, it's all about Minnesota United and Sporting Kansas City. Well, team sports may be sidelined right now, Team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting AlinaHealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. And a very warm welcome back to our MLS Minnesota United match day preview. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. MLS is back, and of course, Minnesota United up against Sporting KC on Sunday, 7 p.m. Central. Of course, you can watch all the action unfold on ESPN, or if you prefer, listen to the radio call right here on Score North. So, Kindra, Minnesota finally back underway. Before we get into the weeds and the tactics of what we expect to see, you and I were fortunate uh, 10 days or so ago, two weeks ago now, maybe. I don't know all the days are going together. Um, <laughs> we saw Minnesota United train at Allianz Field. First of all, it was fabulous to actually watch some live football, but what did you take from that training session that we saw?
1: You know, I had a lot of people ask me afterwards what I thought of that. You know, specifically, I got home and Bobby was like, well, what did you think? How did the team look? What did you think? Was it better or worse than you expected? The touch, the pace, the energy... And I actually was really pleasantly surprised. And I don't know what I was expecting because everyone had told us that the guys came back in shape. They did everything that they were supposed to do, that Stacy and her staff had a tremendous schedule set up. And that since they had been doing individual training, you know, and the guys were holding themselves, each other and each other accountable in their individual workouts and their at home stuff. So it wasn't like I was expecting them to come up. Back out of shape but we all just know how hard it is to Mm -hmm. do stuff on your own consistently and dribble in a ball in a square for only so long and um I I, or maybe it was just that I missed it so much that anything looked fantastic (laughs) at that point but um I thought it was intense I thought it was competitive I thought it was you know they played I think it was like a 9v9 or something like that maybe a 9v9 plus one I don't remember on a little bit of a shortened field and the back and forth nature of it and as as the game went along um, you know, it, it was a little bit more like fast break basketball because it was 90-plus degrees that day and hot, and the guys had been training really, really hard. Um, but I, I thought it was fantastic. I just – I thought you could tell that these guys are itching to get back, that they were ready to go, that they were ready to get to Orlando and get this thing started and that next stage of quarantine and training and um, inside the bubble and get get to games that were meaningful and that were going to count towards the regular season. So – It was awesome. Um, I thought everybody looked great. I thought everybody looked healthy. Um, That was available. And, um, you know, I think uh, Sunday is going to be a good test against Kansas City.
0: You mentioned it briefly there. Um, The fact that Minnesota heading into this game on Sunday haven't really had the chance to do an 11 v 11 scrimmage for some time now whether that's through injuries or uh, people opting out of the tournament or what have you. Uh, To our knowledge, as we said, we are recording this uh, on Wednesday, July 8th, so things could change. Um, The team were due to play Columbus Crew. That scrimmage was cancelled. They did a a 9v9, to our knowledge, that day um, to try and maintain some sort of sharpness. They were then due to play today, Wednesday morning, Chicago Fire. They got about 40 minutes or so through, we think, from the, the knowledge that we have. Uh, we're 2-0 down. Um, not being able to do 11 v. 11, will that hinder them much moving forward?
1: I think it I think it will in the sense that there's a different nature about playing a full-field, full-sided scrimmage. I think even 9 v. 9, 10 v. 10 is just not going to quite do you justice. But I think the only benefit is, is that, of the teams are probably in the same situation. I don't know how many teams have been able to play a full 11 v. 11 against another opponent um, in MLS. I mean, some of the teams were just arriving. I mean, the LA teams and, and whatnot. And I don't know what they were able to do back home, uh, if anything against anybody. So, or maybe an Academy, but I don't think that's a matchup. So I think that it will hinder every team, but every team is in the same boat. And you hear Adrian Heath preach this all the time. Every team is dealing with the same heat. Every team is pretty much dealing with the same circumstances. Maybe one team started full team training earlier because of your state sanctions or not sanctions. But in general, I think that the only saving grace is that everybody is in the same situation. But yes, Adrian Heath also, I think he had a quote today saying the fact that we have not been able to play a full 90 minutes, 11 V 11 against another opponent will absolutely affect the group tactically, technically technically, Getting your legs underneath you, getting that game shape, and we we talk so much about the four-two-three-one that Adrian likes to play and how the system works and the overlapping runs and you know different players staying home. Well, when you're not playing 11-11, you're not going to get any of that. You don't get that overlapping run. You don't get Román Mataner bursting forward, and you don't get you know um, you're you're holding mid staying home. Maybe somebody's pushing high. So. I think it will affect them that they don't uh, have the 11 v 11 but the only saving grace is that every MLS team down there is probably in the same position.
0: I was going to ask you this in our previous segment, but I thought I'd I'd save it for here. What type of football do you expect then, particularly in this group stage? Are we expecting things to be a little more reserved and be a little more direct? Not just from Minnesota, by the way, from from the entirety of the league.
1: Sure, I think that... You know, a lot of times in any game you see the first 10 or 15 minutes of teams trying to settle in, maybe fast and furious. And especially we see that we saw that in the first two games of the season because everyone's excited. I say ramp that up about 20 notches in the (laughs) first 20 minutes of every one of these matches when these guys get going because of that fact. They've been out of soccer now for three and a half, four months, not playing against anybody. The competition level is going to be intense. They haven't been able to take a knock against somebody else. And. I think that it's going to be chaotic. I think they're going to figure each other out and I think it's going to be more frenetic going forward, less of the staying home and playing it safe. I think that's the way it's going to go and it's going to be who's on that front foot, whoever gets on that that first goal, it's going to make a massive difference for the entirety of that 90 minutes because of the heat, because of the humidity, because of guys trying to find their legs specifically in maybe the first two group stage games, that guys are the teams are going to try to get after it early. And try to get on the board first and it's going to be a frenetic pace
0: it was reported on wednesday by several different outlets that aussie alonso has a little bit of a niggle mm-hmm. um how much will that affect minnesota moving forward given the circumstances that, that they're going to be under uh, but also long term of the tournament because you mentioned previously as well that the, the depth will be tested. Everybody will be used at some stage, but not having somebody of Ozzy Alonso not only on the field, but also off the field as well and the psychological aspect of things, it could very well harm them.
1: I think it's going to be a, a big deal if he can't go. I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, the, the reports that we saw and heard about a, a little niggle is just that. And why not play it safe? Don't play him in a scrimmage against Chicago or whatever and save him for the group stage games, especially with the absence of Eiko Parra. And this is to take nothing against uh, nothing away from whoever else steps in and plays center back next to Michael Boxel, or to take nothing away from Hassani Dotson, who has time and time again showed that he can fill in for Ozilanzo. But it's Ozilanzo. You know he is a stalwart in midfield, in that holding position. And when you don't have your defender of the year sitting behind you, that tandem of Boxel and Parr that you are used to, from a communication aspect, that's going to make a big difference. Ozzy knows how to control the game. He knows how to control the pace, the tempo, to slow it down, to to speed it up, to distribute when to when to calm the guys down and tell them to chill out. And that's going to be very important in Orlando. 90 plus degrees, 90 percent whatever humidity, and uh, games in short succession. The five su- substitutions is going to make a massive difference. But I do think if Ozzie Alonso can't go, and we're you know you know hoping that's not the case and that he was just dealing with a little issue. That that will that will make a big difference for Minnesota United long term, and the depth is great and it's fantastic. But you're already missing Iquipara.
0: You would assume it would be somebody like Dotson or Jacory Hayes filling in.
1: Yes, and and yeah, let's not forget about Jacory Hayes. I mean, you know, he's another guy. I mean, he's only what twenty four. Maybe he turned twenty five during COVID. I don't know when his birthday, <laughs> but birthday is. But he he plays older than twenty four to me. Um, and what I've seen, he seems very mature and same kind of guy um, who has his head on his shoulder in the right way and can control the midfield and slow the game down if needed. Knows when to pick up the pace. But yes, Ozzy Alonso is still Ozzy Alonso.
0: What about replacing? Iko Parra, who comes in and how do they get the better of what we're assuming will be Alan Polito up front for Kansas City?
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's ask Vancouver and Houston um, how they did that with Polito and Gadekinda. Um, I don't know. You know, I think that um, I think it might be Jose Aha. Or it could be, um, and as we remember, Brent Coleman is still not available. So that that's another situation. James Musa, who has played holding midfielder, can play center back. That's another option with a ton of experience. So that's two players and that can play a center back role that I don't think you would bat an eye at stepping into that position. And we know that. Um, You know, we know that Jose Aja has spent time in Orlando and I believe it was Vancouver um, and he played center back there and did fantastic. So I think those are two pieces that could slide in. Boxel is super easy to work with. He's a great communicator. I think that makes a massive difference. And then you have Tyler Miller sitting in behind who also, again, communicator organizationally can get people in the right spots. And if they've known now for a little bit of time that Eichel was not going to be available for the group stage. So this isn't something that just came overnight. This isn't an injury he suffered yesterday. And all of a sudden, he's out for the first three games. So I'm sure that those other guys have been getting some time there. But I mean, Polito, oh, uh, man. I mean, I know it's only two games, but talk about living up to the billing so far of just finishing your chances and taking your opportunities. And he's another one of those nines, though, that I think that Michael Boxel um, has become accustomed to in this league. And even in Ozzy Alonso, if he's available to drop in and help out and cover there, that you just have to be aware of where they are at all times. And you can't turn off for a minute. I mean, how many times have we seen Michael Boxel and Ike Opara talk about that with some of these attacking players now in this league, you can't lose them off your shoulder for a millisecond and they'll make you pay. And to me, that's kind of been Polito so far in this, in this short time in, in the league. And then, you know, we talked about Kinda, um, and what he's done in the first two games, centrally for them, I think he you know, this team attacking wise for Kansas City. They're gonna be they're gonna be something to be reckoned with. And I'm sure they were disappointed on the break. They were on
0: fire. They were. They were. Gaddy Kinder certainly made a very good impression, didn't he, when he first came in. Um but from a, a tactical point of view, Kendra, defensively, um, what what do Minnesota do? do? Do they try and play a high line uh and, and try and get, you know, stop Polito running in behind? I, I can't imagine he would you know, he's not blessed with pace. I can't imagine that would be the answer. So in that case, do they drop and, and limit what he can do and, and limit the runs he can make? But then the counter-argument is if somebody steps out of place, uh, Pulido's very good at reading the game. Um, I think from from what I remember uh, seeing uh, with Aha back in, in Vancouver, he was a little aggressive pushing forward in, in the sense that he, he stepped a little bit too early. Um, given the way that Pelido plays off the shoulder, would that then present an opportunity for him to, to get in behind? Will, will the fullbacks have to come in and cover? I mean, how do, you, how do you approach this?
1: Well, I think two things there. First of all, I think to harken back to some earlier days of Minnesota United defensively, Michael Boxall is a very good cover defender, in my opinion. So if you have a center back next to him, that is going to maybe make that mistake of stepping too often, like we sometimes saw with the Francisco Calvo, for example. Michael Boxel is so smart tactically. He knows his teammate, his partner in the center, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then that allows him to go or not go where he needs to be. So I think he'll play a little bit off of that. Michael Boxel will help cover that. I think that you're right. Polito does not have the speed. He's not blessed with the speed. He's not going to be a guy that runs in behind. But he's so smart, and I'm going to try to tr- maybe a- equate him to a- what we've seen from a Luis Samaria. Same thing, not blessed with the blazing amount of pace, but he knows when to make the right run at the right time. And we saw it in the first two games with Minnesota United, how he was able to finish when he had the chance to finish and get to the right spot at the right time, delay his run, maybe step off the shoulder. I think Polito is going to be very much the same. And I think that Minnesota's key defensively is going to be staying compact. How do you stay compact? How do you keep them going, you know, so you're you're, you're maybe, well – that That's a tricky question. I was going to say force him onto the wings, but then you have mm. Johnny Russell and Kyrie Shelton who both had fantastic first two games of the season, and we know what Johnny Russell is capable of with Sporting Kansas City. So do you force him out wide and force him into those spaces and not allow them to play through the middle in Gotti Kinda and Alan Polito connecting? Um, so I think that if Minnesota United stays connected, stays compact, Jan Gregus stays home with Ozzie Alonso or Hassani Dotson, whoever he's partnered with, Kevin Molino's got to sit in there, and he's got to be a little bit aware of his defensive duties—not always Kevin strong suit, you know. But um, him and you know Luis Amaria. Then when they get the transition and they get on the attack, how do they go forward and build together? And then you've got players like Robin Lord, Ethan Finley um, to make those runs. And Robin Lord likes to cut inside. Ethan Finley can cut inside. So how do they clog? How do they clog it up to keep it compact and force the ball away from Alan Polito? I think that's going to be a work in progress, but if you can stay as compact as possible centrally, I think that's where the ball can be won, and then it can be, you know, in transition, that first pass out of transition from Minnesota to go the other way.
0: So you mentioned the comparisons between Polito and Amaria. Mm -hmm. In that sense, then, do Kansas City have the same issue, then do they have to drop a little deeper? Uh, If they do, well, instantly that gives a ton of space for somebody like Molino, and as you mentioned, Robin Lurd likes to tuck inside as well.
1: I don't know if I could compare a like for like with Kevin Molino with Kinda right now, but you could compare essentially an Espinosa and an Ozzy Alonso. So I'm trying to figure out like, how does that the positioning of those guys allow the other pieces around them to maneuver? Um, That's where I think I go back to, is this what kind of a chess match is this going to be for clubs? Because of that very reason, I think that everybody's going to be on the front foot early. Everybody's going to be trying to get that first goal. Everybody's going to be amped up in this first match in particular. And so if Minnesota can find that first pass out of transition when they win the ball centrally, whether it's Ozzy or Hassani or Jan, and find Kevin Molino, I think in that scrimmage the other day that we saw 10 days ago, you start to saw you start to see some chemistry. And we saw it too in the San Jose game before Kevin Molino went off with a little bit of a tweak. And we saw it in the Portland game as well. The combination play and the chemistry starting to develop between Kevin Molino, Luis Amaria, Robin Ludd, Ethan Finley, you know, even Thomas Chacon, for goodness sakes, the other day in the scrimmage, just because he happened to be on the same team as Kevin Molino you know, you could see them starting to play off of each other and find each other in those open spaces. So it might be a counterattack then that, that starts at midfield and you're, you know, 2v3 or 3v4. And then how do you get in numbers up going the other way? So I think it's going to be a lot of that. I think the battle could definitely be won in midfield because both of these teams, Kansas City in the four three three and Minnesota in the four two three one, 2 have those attacking pieces to go forward. And we haven't even mentioned Elias Sanchez, which actually I think the load's going to be really lightened on him this season because of the attacking pieces in front of him. I think he had a pretty terrible 2019, as most of Kansas City did. But a lot of that was because defensively they were second worst in the league and offensively they couldn't find a goal. So don't forget about him. You can't write him off. He can pick out a pass as well.
0: Mm. We would assume, again, we don't know, but we we would assume that Amaria would start for Minnesota. There's there's no reason why he wouldn't. Um, I would be surprised if he and the majority – would be able to go the 90 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, as effectively as they would be if they were match fit and and sharp. Um, So at some stage, should we expect to see the likes of Aaron Schoenfeld come on? Should we expect to see perhaps Mason Toy? How does that change things for Minnesota once those types of players are introduced?
1: Well, let's go back to the first two games. Um, Schoenfeld was the, the forward of choice to come on in those two matches. Now, obviously, the score in the game dictated a lot of that. So Before I think, you
0: go, what, why, why was he the choice? Why was he the one to come He was on?
1: the choice because of the position of the game, because the score of the game. You could put a big, tall forward up there. It's someone who could hold up the ball, someone you could get the ball into that um, was going to do the hold-up play and not get the turnovers. You weren't really going for goals at that point, especially in San Jose with the score of the game. I think it was 4-1 at half. It feels like an eternity ago. Um, So I think that Schoenfeld was first choice off the bench in those two situations, not Mason Toy. I think Mason Toy has maybe – this is just – Purely speculation, in my opinion, because I haven't seen the team much, but I'm guessing he maybe struggled a bit with confidence after those two matches, knowing that, A, they went out and got Luis Amarillo in the offseason after he had a pretty good 2019 Mason Toyden. and then also you go and get a Schoenfeld, and now you're not the first choice off the bench in the first two matches of the game. So maybe his confidence, he's young. I think that it's 100% going to depend on the game, the score of the game at that time. Schoenfeld, again, Veteran player, makes runs like crazy, never stops. I mean, always on the move, always trying to find that space, trying to get to the the sideline. I think Mason Toys stays more central in his runs and, and not comes out to the wing and the side as much as Schoenfeld does. Mason Toy is still working on his timing. I mean, we talk about this all the time, and it just comes naturally to some guys. I don't think it comes naturally to Mason Toy to figure out the timing of the runs and when to make those runs and when to step off the shoulder. You don't always have to be next to your defender. You don't always have to be next to the ball. Um, So it'll depend on the game, but also, I mean, five substitutions. That's a massive, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And I talked about this with someone else. Does it completely change what you do in the first half, the second half. I mean, you used to try to scrape and get by to halftime before you'd have to make any substitutions, right? In MLS, because unless it was an injury or something sure. major needed to be changed tactically, you're trying to save those for the second half, get a 45 minutes from those guys. Now you're going to be hot, tired, it's humid, and you have five subs. So do you make three subs in the first half and then tactically two at halftime? Or maybe you make one at halftime that's tactical? And, and Or no, maybe you make... Maybe you make two in the first half that are tactical, one for fresh legs purely just to get a burst of speed going into halftime, another one for fresh legs in the second half, and then you save the fifth in case there's an injury. I mean, I think it gives a, coaches a lot of flexibility, and sometimes too many options is worse. But in this situation, I think it's going to be good. And um, Mason Toy, maybe Mason Toy and Schoenfeld come on together. I mean, who the heck mm-hmm. knows what the game brings at this point and with the the fitness of the guys, and then you have a completely... A completely different look.
0: How important is, from a psychological point of view, given what the players are going through both on and off the field, how important is the first goal psychologically?
1: I think it's going to dictate the whole rest of the match. You know, whether that's 30 seconds in, whether that's 20 minutes in, um, I think that it's going to be a grind. And the farther along the game goes without a goal, whoever gets that first goal The other team is going to start to drop off. The other team is going to start to sit back. You're going to see a midfield line of confrontation, maybe slightly above it. Maybe you have one guy sort of chasing around again, going back to the five substitutions. Maybe that's even where you throw somebody on where you you have one guy that's putting a little pressure on, but you're not going to high press. So I think that all of a sudden you're, if you're back in a defensive shell because you've scored the first goal, which is a good thing, but you know it's what the situation is bringing you with the temperature and and the opposition and the schedule that's ahead of you. Um, I think the first goal is going to be massively important. I mean, how many times we hear Adrian say goals change games. Mm. First goal makes a huge difference. I think it's going to be amplified, just like everything in this tournament. And it sounds like hyperbole. It sounds like we're exaggerating, but I really do think that everything is going to be elevated because of the circumstances in this tournament.
0: Given the sharpness and the fitness of the squad that we are assuming they have at the moment, would you expect it to be very much right we'll start this tournament off on the front foot then we'll perhaps rest a little in the second and then see what situation we're in in the third game you've covered world cups sometimes this is what happens in these types of tournaments right mhm
1: yeah i mean i don't i don't see that happening i don't see them taking the pedal off the metal i think especially if you find some success um and you find your form and I just I just think most athletes, most people, most players, most coaches are not wired that way. I mean, it doesn't mean you may not make some changes in your lineup. Sure. Sure. You know, if a guy is questionable, if a guy is dealing with a little bit of a niggle, if a guy is, you know, just not feeling it that day. I mean, you have the ability with the depth in the roster and the five substitutions and knowing what game three might bring you. But I just don't see the nature of the beast working in that regard because of the way these guys are wired. And if you've found some success and you're your, your flowing, you know, but I don't know. I just think again, what if you don't get out of your group stage, but you were flowing? Like, what if you didn't make it out? But now you go back home and, you, and you're you there for, what, two or three weeks then again before your regular season starts up? I mean, it's just there's so many crazy things that I think mentally these coaches are probably losing sleep at night and these sporting directors and whoever else that are having to make these decisions. I'm glad I don't have to make them. We just get to talk about them. But there's a lot of things that as the tournament unfolds, they're going to have to think about and uh, – that's one of them, I think. How do you take the pedal off the metal? You're still in a competitive environment. You want the nine points from the three regular season games. You want maybe the CCL berth. You want the 1.1 million. You want to go into the regular season on a good note, on a good momentum. There's just so much to to take in. and It's giving me a headache.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh,
1: what do you think? What do you think for Minnesota United? What do you see?
0: Well, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the first game it's... No holds barred, and, mm-hmm. and people are going for it. As you said, the adrenaline is going to be as high as it possibly ever has been before. Um, it wouldn't surprise me in, in the second game if um, if Minnesota were to... And this is assuming that we we see the starting 11 that we assume is going to to be out there. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me in the second game if we do see somebody like, uh, and I say this with all due respect, uh, a Ja'Cory Hayes coming into the centre of midfield, mm-hmm. Um you know, possibly a, a, a Sean Fell starting a little mm-hmm. more. You know, it, mm-hmm. it it just depends on, as you say, how the first game goes. Really, I guess. But um, let me ask you this before we we start thinking about wrapping things up here: um, Who do you think with Minnesota United and with Major League Soccer is there one player that you think could take advantage of the current situation? How do they do it, and why?
1: Hmm. I would say. I would say, oh, man. So, for, I, for
0: example, I, I think Hassani Dotson right yeah. now, I think he'll play throughout the entirety of the tournament. Eyeballs yep. will be on him. Yep. And, again, his his trajectory will continue to rise.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, he's hopefully, you know, if he stays healthy, it does that. I, I, in my opinion, for Minnesota United, and maybe more specifically with this fan base, not even saying what other people are going to think about him, Robin Lloyd. I think he is incredibly fit. I think he is... Really good. I think people did not give him enough credit last year. He came in in the middle of the season, you know, on vacation, on holiday from another country. His wife had a baby. People were really hard on him. And I think we saw in the first two games and people underestimate his work rate and his ability and his runs off the ball, his touch, his ability to combine. I think he's intelligent. He can finish. I think people will be really impressed and pleasantly surprised and his stock will rise in Minnesota United within the fan base, and within the club, and he'll score some more goals. He got that goal against, I believe it was San Jose. That's who I'm going to put put my money on. And he's not phased by anything of what the fans say. He doesn't care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He just has one thing in mind that's winning, that's being better, that's contributing. He's very even-keeled. I would say Robin Lud.
0: And quickly from an MLS point of view?
1: I'm going to say um, Rodriguez from LAFC. I Good. think this is going to be his moment to shine and step in with Vela out.
0: Wonderful. Kindrap, thank you very much, as always. And our big thanks to our guest, JP Della Camera, our producer, Morgan Lupin. And uh, again, you for listening at home. We know it's been crazy. Uh, there's been all sorts of unknowns for a long time. But the one thing we do know is that MLS is back and we can't wait.